you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. This is your host, Phil. As always, a lot to get to this week and everything that has been going on. Um, some things we're going to talk about this week, obviously, we're going to talk about what's going on here in California. A uh, little bit of what's going on with Gavin Newsom and the protests. A couple comments about George Floyd. I don't want to get too far into it because that's not really the point. I'm sure you're almost overindulged with what's going on with the George Floyd situation out in Minneapolis. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit more uh, substantively about what the executive order and Twitter and free speech and what it really means, where it's possibly going to go. Um, whether it has legs, um, I'm sure it will be yet to be seen. Um, I did read the entire executive order. I highlighted some things I want to talk about, and I think I, w- I want to really focus on what the intent of this was. Was this more symbolic than substantive substantive in the way that it's actually going to get something really done? I hope it's going to get something done, but I do believe that there's like a lot of President Trump executive orders. They are sometimes rushed out. They are sometimes not uh, cooperatively created with other agencies that need to know what's going on with them. Um, So we've seen that before. And obviously this is symbolic. I think this might be a little bit more symbolic. They might have to iron some stuff out and figure out the real legalities of how this is going to go down. This is another one of those things. I think it's almost like uh, President Trump likes to throw down the gauntlet when it comes to these legal battles. And I don't think it's a horrible thing that he does. It forces these issues into the court and then it forces the courts to figure it out. Um, A lot of these issues never really come up, but the fact that he says, well, there's a fight here and I think we should go after and I think we should do something about it. And that's sort of what he does. He's done that with a lot of things on immigration. Obviously, a lot of executive orders on immigration have been challenged in court, stuff like that, public charge rules. Um, So it's something he does, whether it uh, will go forward is yet to be seen. It's still brand new. What is going to happen, how they're going to implement it, how the FCC and FTC are there. They're all going to start handling this. but we we will see, and we're going to discuss it. We're going to go into it a little bit more in depth. If you've never really read what 230 uh, under the, the U.S. code is, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the executive order and talk a little bit about where it's going to go. Um, I, as I said, I don't want to say too much about the George Floyd incident because you've been inundated with it. Obviously, there's not much I can say that will add on to it besides the fact that what happened was awful. Let me just say that again. What happened to George Floyd was awful. There's no reason that man deserved to die. Um, there's never a reason for a cop or a police officer to take that stance. Um, there's no excuse. This is this is one of those cases we've all seen the video. It's awful what happened. Uh, the police officer in question, I won't even say his name, should face um, prosecution. He's been arrested and he's going to face justice. Um, but the one thing I will say that really upsets me and I don't want to pat myself on the back and say I called it but this is really the biggest issue when things like this happen in our country and I I know that there's probably gonna be a lot of people who say well you have no room to speak uh, as a as a white male in America you have no room to speak on this issue well I'm gonna speak on it anyway because as of right now I can still speak on these issues no one's telling me I can't and that it's illegal so I'm gonna speak on it the one thing that I was upset about was that this was going to reach a fever pitch to the point where we lost sight of really what is going on. 
with George Floyd. We, we lost within a, a couple days. We've already lost what has essentially happened and what the real story is. Is this incredible injustice done by this police officer uh, to this man for a nonviolent crime um, that it didn't have to happen? And the problem is it's now reached a fever pitch. And, I kn- and I've said this and I knew this was coming. I knew the media was going to froth up the people out, the people in Minneapolis, and I knew they were going to froth up tensions and attitudes and and all of this, and, and it was going to result in a negative backlash that is not helping the cause. And what happens now is you you have these protests spring up all over, and there are no such thing. One police officer does not represent the entire amount of police officers out there. There is no way that one police officer represents the entire amount of law enforcement who are out there day in and day out doing their job as they should, working with citizens, doing what they're supposed to do, living and working and having full careers without any incident, um, protecting us and keeping us safe. And I, I hate to see on social media, you see people say, well, you know, the police are just, you know, they're pigs and, and this is awful and we hate the cops and it's now become this issue of it's now villainizing a whole entire group of people. I'm not standing up for this police officer by no means. I have to keep repeating myself because I don't want anyone to take this out of context, but now we have the problems with the looting and we have the problems with the destruction of private property and people who are business owners in Minneapolis. And the real problem is, and I, I, I blame, I obviously blame what is going on with the media. And I blame the media in the sense that they, they froth this up, they get people upset about it, and they get people on there who are notoriously never, ever really helpful in these situations. You, you get the Al Sharpton. And Al Sharpton is probably the biggest one of all. He's the biggest race baiter out there who froths up, gets all excited about this, goes on cable news. Uh, you know, collects his paychecks, but you never see Al Sharpton on the ground. You never see Al Sharpton really doing anything because he's made a living off of this. He's made a career off of this and he's never helped this. And the issue is, is that people couldn't pull back and say, okay, we have all across the country. Anybody with common sense and decency has seen this video and they've seen it and said, this is an awful, awful incident. And what has happened and we all condemn what has happened in this police officer and that he should face justice. And a lot of people say, well, this is this is an issue with how far racial tensions have come. And this is the problem with how far race has come in, in 2020. But if you look at the other way, how far racial tensions have come, that basically everyone agrees that what he did was horrible. No one is sitting there arguing. Same thing with two weeks ago. Most people looked at that and said, okay, there was no reason to kill that young man. There was no reason to kill George Floyd. That's where we are as a society. Most people look at it and say, there's nothing, there was no reason for this man to die. And it's horrible and he needs to face justice. And he will face justice. He's been arrested. Um, and we have to let the criminal justice and the, and the justice system work itself out. But my my 
my fear is that we've now gone past the actual message of George Floyd and what has happened. And now we've gone into the looting and the destruction of property that doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help America look at each other and say, how can we make this better? It hardens the hearts of people. And instead, they turn their eyes away from it because they don't want to see it. And especially in a time like now and in the coronavirus, we're starting to slowly come back out of this coronavirus issue. And things have been hard. Things have been hard this year. It's been hard these past three months. And stuff like this is just, I feel like it's been letting the pressure out of the pressure cooker. People are already bound up with a lot of anger and stress and fear, and this really kind of puts it over the edge. And it's irresponsible, I believe, of media personalities to go out there and froth this up instead of saying, look, how do we come to solutions? How do we figure this out? How do we make, how do we get better from this? But instead, now what you're seeing is the horrible images of buildings burning, property destroyed, cars lit on fire. And people have hardened their hearts and people are going to look at this and say, there's no reason for this. This is not what this is not how you get things done. This is not how you get things accomplished. So with that, I don't want to say too much more about it. I'm sure everyone out there is feeling when they see these pictures of what's going on in Minneapolis and these videos and they saw the video of what happened to George Floyd. It's all awful. All of it is awful. OK, I don't I don't think that looting and destroying property, destroying someone's business is the way to go about it. I don't think that helps your cause. I don't help think that helps further your message. And that's the issue is now the media has turned completely into this glory, this gore fest of what is going on in Minneapolis is now it's being run all the time. And now there's protests springing up here in California, as I'm sure you've seen the video of in L.A. that they've now started to. There have been protests in L.A., which brings me up to this point about what is going on. And it's almost kind of fitting that you have these protests are now starting up over George Floyd. And only a couple days before you have Gavin Newsom coming out and saying that, well, I'm going to protect your right to assemble and peacefully protest because obviously he's had enough of the protests of people showing up in Sacramento or Orange County or wherever. All these protests going on up and down the state. He's obviously had enough of them. So what he's done is he's put such a such overburdening restrictions on them. It almost doesn't make sense to protest at this point. So now you have to protest and you have to observe social distancing and you hang out have a certain amount of people and you have to make sure you have masks on. And at a certain point, it's like you've effectively lost the point of protest. And the point of this protest, this protesting is to show strength in numbers. And usually that's what it shows is when you see people filling the streets and peacefully doing what they're doing, asking for their a little bit of freedom so that they can get their jobs back or reopen their businesses or stuff like that. Now you have all these restrictions. And if you don't agree with them, then you're in violation of his order, which is an argument to be said. I mean, it seems like just when you think there's one more constitutional issue that hasn't been covered yet with this coronavirus, another one pops up. And this is a great segue into what is today's topic about the First Amendment and his idea about the First Amendment and him limiting the ability to peacefully protest and peacefully assemble and putting the restrictions on it and the redress of 
grievances and the redress of the government and all that stuff. But now you have these protests for George Floyd, which obviously if you've seen videos and you've seen pictures, they are not obviously abiding by what he's saying. They're not standing six feet apart. They're not spread out. Um, Maybe some are wearing masks. Maybe some aren't wearing masks. But I don't think any. They're not abiding by the restrictions he's put out there. But in typical fashion, it wouldn't be. You would lose virtue signaling points on the woke left if you were to come down on these protests and say, well, I just, you know, I just issued this executive order stating that you can only do such and such when you're protesting um, and you're all in violation of it. So we're going to have to disperse this. That would obviously not be a good look for Gavin Newsom if he had to start breaking out these George Floyd protests. And I think you're seeing this kind of frustration around the country, which is the dichotomy of, well, these protests are okay. Um, and they're absolutely supported. But when people want to come out and protest about they want to go back to work and reopen their businesses and provide for the livelihood of their families, not okay. And people call them selfish. They call them uh, misguided. They call them obviously ignorant of what's really going on in the world. So poor old Gavin Newsom, he, uh, he can't catch a break, really. What it is is he comes out with these guidelines about protests, and now he's sort of stuck in a rock and a hard place. Where does Gavin Newsom go from here? Because he can't obviously... Uh, come down on protests about George Floyd without seeming like he's insensitive to what's going on. And it sounds like he's trying to break this up or silence uh, anybody who has an opinion on it or silencing minorities. So he's really kind of caught in a very, very rock and hard place because now he's either going to have to cave on what he said about protests saying, well, uh, I guess these are okay over here, but if you're protesting for your job back, that's not okay. So we can't do that. Um, and then it's unequal application. And then you have this issue of, well, you're picking winners and losers. And, and you know, what, before you know it, someone like Harmeet Dillon's going to file another lawsuit against them for violating the first amendment, because you can't do that. You can't just pick and choose who you allow to protest and who you allow to peacefully protest. Um, so I feel, you know, he, he, poor old Gavin Newsom. He's got got himself stuck in a rock and a hard place now. I mean, he couldn't have had the worst timing to come out with these protest restrictions with George Floyd going on and all these protests and these riots happening all over the country. Um, so what does he give? I haven't heard what he said about it or whether he's come down on anybody. I haven't seen what he said about it. He hasn't obviously been. I mean, some of the police, I, I saw videos of the police. I've been telling them that they, it's an unlawful, peaceful assembly, that they cannot be there um, under what authority. Maybe it's L.A., maybe it's the state, but whichever one, he's he hasn't come out and said, well, I, I, I feel for them, but they can't protest in this way because that's what my new executive order is. So poor old Gavin Newsom seems to, you know, just can't, poor guy can't catch a break. He wins some, he lose some, he's trying to run the state and he can't do, you know, he's trying to keep the state under control, but, uh, you know, people on the left are going to keep pushing him. And that's an issue with when you have these woke leftists, these far left woke leftists, they don't really care about the reality of the situation and what it really is to govern in the real world. They just care about the woke scolding points and the virtue signaling points and all that. So poor old Gavin Newsom. I'm sure anyone listening is sitting here going, well, I don't feel bad for poor old Gavin Newsom, but yeah, it is what it is. See how he, uh, 
he responds to this, whether he does pick and choose winners and losers, because I can tell you right now, protests are not stopping in terms of the the COVID and the job restrictions and the lockdown, stuff like that. That stuff is not going to go away. Uh, I think people are going to protest in spite of it, and I think they're going to continue and they're going to violate it. And we'll see what happens. People are probably going to get arrested for it. And that's going to start up the whole lawsuits are going to happen again. So there's going to be a lot of issues, a lot of constitutional issues happening. This is not going to go away just in, you know, a couple months from now. I think this is going to be an issue that happens a long time from now. COVID has really put the Constitution to the test and whether or not people are going to listen to the Constitution and the case law that has been presented. As we talked about last week, we went down a nice little rabbit hole about uh, police power and all that stuff and how far they could go. Um, So people keep saying, yeah, there's a lot of constitutional arguments out there. But moving into more of a broader topic, speaking of First Amendment and free speech, the big issue that we've been that everyone is talking about is almost perfect that it happened yesterday. So I could talk about on today's podcast while I'm recording is this issue of the 230 uh, protection. So if you're not familiar with the 230 protection, what it is, is it's a statute that was enacted back in 1996. And the intent of it, let me give you a little backstory of what happened with 230. 230 was created to uh, at the rise of a lot of these internet companies they wanted to sort of protect these internet companies and allow them to grow now obviously we've come a very very far long way away from 1996 a lot of the people who were big titans in internet in 1996 were are not really big titans anymore you think about google twitter facebook instagram reddit all these things were not social media was not a thing in 1996 when this statute was created So this was a statute that was created to give protection and liability. Now, what I'm saying to give you, and I'm sure you've heard this whole thing about publisher and versus platform. And we're going to come back to that idea over and over again and what it really means to be one or the other. Um, So a publisher is someone who takes information and they publish it themselves. When you publish information yourself, you have editorial control. You you so you think of the news. You think of people, you know, Fox News, ABC, all these New York Times. They are all publishers because what they're doing is they're taking information and they're publishing it. They're distilling it down to you and they're publishing it for you. And there are liabilities as under freedom of the press. You're not unlimited when it comes to freedom of the press. There are liabilities that if you defame someone or there's liable, um, you can be sued. And that is an issue. If you're a publisher or you're the news network, you defame someone or you're, you, you know, you can, you commit liable against somebody. Those are actionable things that you can bring someone to court for. But the goal of 230 when it was created, as I said, was to give sort of a wide berth and protection and immunity to these new Internet platforms. Um, because a lot of, they knew that at this time the internet is going to have a lot of people on it, that at a certain point people are going to start using it to effectively spread their own messages, that people are going to go onto websites and they're going to use it to publish their own content, that now you have all these new ways and new media and stuff that's going to happen. So they created this with the good intent of giving internet the wide berth and free immunity and protection that they wouldn't be found liable um, because they are a quote unquote platform. 
Now, that was 1996. Obviously, a lot of things have happened since then. We have the rise of social media. We have all these things that now billions of people are on the Internet all the time. They are on, on their phones. They're on it everywhere. And obviously, anybody can go on there and they can tweet and they can put something on Instagram and they can change. These are now a lot of these tools have been used to create what is effectively known as new media. Same thing with YouTube, YouTube being a part of Google, even though it's um, not really social media. YouTube falls in this category as well. YouTube originally was a platform where they got people to come on. And if you're a fan of Steven Crowder, he goes on a much better explanation because he's been through this. He's been through this for years now, going back and forth with YouTube. But it was a platform that was created so that original original content creators could create these content videos and stuff like that, come onto their site and use it as a platform. Basically what it was is we'll give you the tools to broadcast to the world, whether it's the written word, whether it's the spoken word, whether it's any of these things. And we're just going to be the platform that does it. Now, obviously, there's some restrictions and there's obviously you can't advocate violence and you can't obviously um, big thing was, you know, one of the big things in the beginning was they didn't want to have uh, sex trafficking or, or child pornography or anything like that on these sites. So obviously you don't get immunity if people start posting child pornography or their sex trafficking or, the, or they're committing any crimes. Um, and that's part of 230 is that there had, there's no effect of it on a lot of criminal law. However, now you have a lot of these people, these, these social media giants that have gone so big to the point where they are making so much money and it doesn't really matter that they're starting to pick and choose the winners and losers. And if you are conservative or even if you're a moderate or, or, or you follow this stuff, you notice that there is always some sort of change or there's always some sort of bias against someone who leans the wrong way. What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about you go on Twitter, right? You go on Twitter and this has happened to me. You go on Twitter and all of a sudden the first thing that pulls up if you're a conservative is a tweet from Joe Biden, which happened to me literally this morning. I opened up my Twitter feed and I saw the first thing that came up was a tweet from Joe Biden. Now, why was a Joe Biden tweet on my time? I don't follow Joe Biden. I have no interest in hearing whatever his handlers put out because I know he's not tweeting that stuff. But why am I seeing that? Because it just popped up on my feed because it's being forced upon my feed. And now obviously there's a lot of other people. You, you look at the suggested politicians or the other suggested users. If you say you want to follow, let's say you go on, you want to follow Donald Trump. You click, I want to follow Donald Trump. And then all of a sudden the list of people, oh, well, should we suggest you want to follow uh, Donald Trump? You should also follow uh, Barack Obama. You should follow Hillary Clinton. You should follow Kamala Harris. You should follow Elizabeth Warren. You should follow uh, Pete Buttigieg. You should follow Amy Klobuchar. You know, you get the point that it it gets way down the line before you even start to see any Republican being suggested in your feed. So those are some examples of the fact that they're sort of curating content. They're picking and choosing the winners and losers. Same thing's happening over on YouTube. When you have people who are putting up videos that are conservative leaning or they're critiquing stuff, um, one of my favorite examples to give is if you've ever been looking about, and this is not maybe a nerdy example, but if you've ever searched for the history of the Federal Reserve, there are videos with millions of views that are self-created original content about the Federal Reserve, critiquing the Federal Reserve, where it came from, the uh, what makes the Federal Reserve necessarily 
bad if you hate the Federal Reserve or something like that. And these videos have millions of views. Now, one of the most famous ones, there was one with a cartoon that was 30 minutes long. That was the most popular for people to really distill down what is the Federal Reserve and why it's it's an awful thing to begin with. Um, that was the most popular video. Then YouTube changed the algorithm and then you go to search and instead, if you say history of Federal Reserve, what do you get? You get ABC ABC News story about the Federal Reserve. Uh, you get a story uh, from NBC News about Jerome Powell. You get a CNN story or an interview. But so before you have to go way, way down. And even by that time, if you get close to something that's about the history of the Federal Reserve, it's a scrubbed clean PBS version of what is the history of the Federal Reserve. And these videos are not widely viewed. It's not like these are incredibly popular videos that people are, oh, you got to see this ABC News video about the Federal Reserve. Yeah, they're not that popular. I'm so what I'm saying is the one that was super popular, the cartoon, is now effectively gone and you can't find it anymore. So these are examples and there's hundreds of them. And the biggest one I can always think of is if you've ever been a fan of Reddit and you've gone to the pro Donald Trump subreddit, the Donald, effectively you've seen what they've done to the Donald. To the point where they've now shut down the Donald and you can't even go on it. And well, you can still go on it. It's quarantined, but they've effectively shut it down. No one's posting any new information. It was at one point, they say 700,000. I believe it was in the millions. I think they were suppressing the views um, because there was evidence that came out that showed that they were at 1.6 million people on the Donald. First, it was they didn't want anything from the Donald getting onto the front page, which is effectively where everybody sees stuff, um, which was a problem because they were starting to overload. Everything you saw was Donald Trump memes. It was getting to the front of the, the uh, front page, which is supposed to be this idea of a de democratic forum where the most popular stuff on that on Reddit is getting to getting to the front page. So then they effectively scrub that and slowly but surely over the course of years, they've scrub the Donald from the Reddit, uh, from Reddit, not the Reddit, from Reddit. Now there's another site, the Donald.win, but that's not the point. The point is that now you have Reddit, which was supposed to be created as a also a platform where people can come and be an open forum. Obviously, the same restrictions apply. You can't enforce violence, um, anything that's offensive, any crime, stuff like that. But it was supposed to be this wide open forum where people could discuss. And now it's got, it got to the point where everything that the Donald could have done wrong, they figured out a way to say, you did this wrong, you incited violence, obviously you hate police officers, which if you've been on the Donald, you know that's absolutely not true, that they don't hate police officers. Meanwhile, there's other subreddits that get away with a lot of violence and a lot of death wishes against the president or Republicans or what have you. So again, we come back to the idea of picking winners and losers. Now we come to this whole thing with Twitter and what happened with President Trump. So before I get too far, I want to talk about the actual statutory language, what they're talking about. It's specifically 230. Uh, so the U.S. Code, Chapter 47, two, uh, Section 230. Uh, subsection C, which is protection for good Samaritan blocking screen of offensive material. Uh, so there's a couple little things, but these have become so powerful that that's really what this executive order is about. 
Uh, subsection C1, no provider or user of an interactive computer shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So again, that goes back to this idea that if you're a platform, you're essentially just providing the tools in the platform. You're, you're effectively providing the soapbox for people to get up on that soapbox and discuss what they want to discuss. You're just the platform. You're the soapbox. You have no. You don't care who's on the soapbox. The soapbox has no no political leanings. It's just the soapbox. That was the idea originally. Was that you get this immunity if you're just the soapbox where people can go. Um, and then it goes on to subsection uh, two: civil liability. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable of on account of. Uh, subsection A, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, uh, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, uh, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected or any action taken to enable or make available to information content providers or others the technical means to restrict access to material described in paragraph one. So again, there, it's this two-pronged test that you have is that it's protecting these platforms, the soapbox, the absolute, just the soapbox, the wooden soapbox that you stand on. That was the idea. You can get up on the soapbox, but obviously don't say these things are obscene, lewd, or you know, incite violence or anything like that. So if you're a soapbox and you make sure you don't allow any of these obscene, lewd, or harassing, or violent uh, issue or statements, then you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to be held civilly liable. That's where this has all come from. And in just a couple words, this is the protection that all these social media giants have been afforded that they are the platform and they keep arguing, well, we're a platform and you can't, obviously we're the platform and you can't hold us liable for what we, for what happens on these sites. So even though, and this comes back to the uh, fact check of President Trump this week. So the fact check was one thing. You had the fact check of one thing saying that this is not true or this is uh, that mail and ballots are not does not constitute fraud. Now you're editorializing. And that's one of the issues. That's what started this whole thing is that you're editorializing. When you start editorializing what people are saying, you are no longer just the soapbox. You are the person who is controlling what the person on the soapbox is saying. You've now become more of the megaphone, the apparatus used to get the information. And now you're blaring it out to the world. And that's really where this set this off. And you're starting to see it more and more. And I understand it's it's become... Because this whole CDC, what's been going on with the coronavirus and the CDC, and you're starting to see it. I've seen it on my Instagram page. Every time I post something about COVID-19, it's got to be, well, we saw you posted something about COVID-19, so here's a link to the CDC just to make sure everyone knows. And this is sort of the beginning, just the slow creep of when you start to editorialize what is and what is not true, you've now no longer become the soapbox. You are now starting to get into the publisher area. And when you start to become a publisher, then you start to move into these First Amendment protections, but also these First Amendment liabilities 
that are inherent to if you are a publisher or like a news source or anything like that. If you're now picking and choosing winners, or you're picking the information that you want people to see and you're curating, then you're not really just a free platform that's open for anyone to to use or to be on. Now, if you've been following this, is not all new information to you. You've seen it. You've seen the suppression of voices. You've seen people get a lot of conservative accounts get whacked for just minor things or the trumped up charges. I mean, even I, as a small guy as an Instagram account, was locked out quickly. Mine was already shut down once I got started for some reason. I posted a couple things and they started to shut me down already. They quickly reversed it. But how many people go by the wayside and don't fight this and say, well, I was shut down, so I'm not going to discuss it anymore. It's not worth it. Obviously, I can just get shut down again. If you know, if you, you create a huge following, then what's the point? Because they could just take it from you anyway. So that's what this executive order is about, is this protection under 230. And I want to read a little bit of the executive order just to go over what some of it says. And again, I think this is, and this is my opinion. I don't want to rain on everybody's parade. And I don't want to make it sound like this is not a good step in the right direction. But this might be more symbolic than anything because right now we don't have the new rules and how this is all going to be really implemented. And until then, it's hard to say whether or not this is really going to have a huge effect on social media and free speech on social media. Uh, so let's see. Free speech is the bedrock of American democracy. Our founding fathers protected the sacred right with the first amendments of the Constitution. The freedom to express and debate ideas is the foundation of all our rights as a free people. The growth of online platforms in recent years raises important questions about applying the ideals of the First Amendment to modern communication technologies. Today, many Americans follow the news, stay in touch with friends and families, and share their views on current events through social media and other online platforms. As a result, these platforms function in many ways as a 21st century equivalent of the public square. Um, Online platforms are engaging in selective censorship that is harming our national discourse. Tens of thousands of Americans have reported, among other troubling behaviors, online platforms flagging content as inappropriate, even though it does not violate any stated terms of service, making unannounced and unexplained changes to company policies that have the effect of disfavoring certain viewpoints and deleting content and entire accounts with no warning, no rationale, and no recourse, which is what I just said. You start to see more and more bias and obviously if you have the idea that something if the if the moderators if you believe the moderators and social media are going to be on your side politically then it's beneficial for you to run to the moderators every time there's somebody you don't like and start to flag them and say i don't like this account i think they violate some rules and then if yeah maybe there's a good chance they'll actually delete their account because somebody gets uh you know a little too triggered about Um, So this is in section two is protections against online censorship. Uh, It is the policy of the United States that the scope of that immunity should be clarified. And this is talking about 230C. The immunity should not extend beyond its text and purpose to provide protection for those who purport to provide users a form for free and open speech. But in reality, use their power over a vital means of communications to engage in deceptive or protectual actions Again, uh, action stifling free and open debate by centering certain viewpoints. 
Section 230C was designed to address early court decisions holding that if an online platform restricted access to some content posted by others, it would thereby become a publisher of all the content posted on its site for purpose of torts as defamation. As the title of Section 230C makes clear, the provision provides limited liability protection to a provider of an interactive computer service, such as an online platform that engages in Good Samaritan blocking of harmful content. And again, this goes back to this issue. It really comes down to two things. To boil it down, it becomes whether you're a publisher or are you a platform? Are you the soapbox that people stand on and it's just a box that people get up and stand on and they use it to, to voice their opinions? Are you in the so on the soapbox in the public square where people share their ideas? Or are you the speaker or are you the bullhorn that uses to project your own message? That's what this is really coming down to. If you're picking or choosing or you're editorializing or you're kind of curating information so that people find more favorable news stories in your mind, more favorable news stories or you want to suppress other thing. You're not so long. You're no longer the soapbox. You're no longer the town square. You have to pick or choose one. And you can't hide behind this double speak of, well, uh, yeah, we're still a platform. Um, so therefore, we get this protection. And um, well, but we're also going to use our power to just ever so slightly alter what you view all the time or come down on people that we don't really agree with or fact check people we don't really agree with or censor in the sense of what happened last night with uh, the president's tweet being censored because it said it glorified violence. Um, forget the fact that, you know, people like Kathy Griffin even this week said that a syringe full of air would kill President Trump and that should happen and she absolutely stood by that statement. Yeah, forget it. You know, that doesn't glorify violence. That doesn't need to be censored, but whatever. Um, so that's really what this is pushing is this idea of you have to be one or the other. Uh, going on, Section 230 was not intended to allow a handful of companies to grow into titans, controlling vital avenues for our national discourse under the guise of promoting open forms for debate. And then to provide those behemoths blanket immunity when they use their power to censor content and silence viewpoints that they dislike. When an interactive computer service provider removes or restricts access to content and its actions do not meet the criteria of subparagraph C2A, it is engaged in editorial content. Again, we keep coming back to this idea. Soapbox or bullhorn? Are you the soapbox or are you the bullhorn? Um... And they have to pick or choose one. And Twitter made a big mistake by editorializing the president of the United States tweets. Uh, let's see, moving on. Uh, in addition, within 60 days of the date of this order, the Secretary of Commerce, in consultation with the Attorney General and acting through the National Telecommunications Information Administration, shall file a petition for rulemaking with the Federal Communications Commission requesting that the FCC expeditiously proposed regulations to clarify uh, the interaction between subparagraphs C1 and C2 of Section 230 in particular to clarify and determine circumstances under which a provider of an interactive computer service that restricts access to content in a manner not specifically protected by subparagraph C2A may also not be able to claim protection under subparagraph C1, which merely states that a provider shall be treated as a publisher or speaker for making third-party content available and does not address the provider's responsibility for its own editorial. So obviously there is going to be clarification on whether or not they are a publisher or they are a platform. 
Um, also, the conditions under which an action restricting access to or availability of material is not taken in good faith mean the uh, subparagraph C to A of subsection of section thir- 230, particularly whether actions can be taken in good faith if they are deceptive, pretextual, or inconsistent with a provider's terms of service, or taken after failing to provide adequate notice, reasoned explanation, or a meaningful opportunity to be heard, and any other proposed regulations that the NTIA concludes may be appropriate to advance the policy described in subsection A of this section. Um, so I, this second part was about if you are dinged or you get a strike or if you're on YouTube or something like that and you get dinged, um, that you're actually explained to what you did wrong, terms of service, um, giving you adequate notice of what you did and a reason explanation rather than just saying, which you usually get. You get these little blurbs of, well, somebody said you violate our terms of service and that's about it. So the idea is if you're going to tell people that they violated the terms of service because you want to protect your platform by saying we're not allowed to allow all this lewd or obscene or violent material, then you have to be able to give them enough information as to why um, why they violate these terms of services. Uh, protecting federal tax taxpayer dollars from financing online platforms that restrict free speech. And this is just him talking about that um, they're going to probably look into limiting federal dollars, which is a big amount of money that they spend on these platforms when you think about political campaigns and stuff. Um, Section 4, Federal Review of Unfair or Deceptive Acts or Practices. It is the policy of the United States that large online platforms such as Twitter and Facebook as the critical means of promoting the free flow of speech and ideas today should not restrict protected speech. The Supreme Court's know that social media sites as the modern public square can provide perhaps the most powerful mechanisms available to a private citizen to make his or her voice heard. Uh, communication through these channels has become important for meaningful participation in American democracy, include to petition elected leaders. These sites are providing an important forum to the public for others to engage in free expression and debate. Uh, see Pruneyard Shopping v. Robbins. Uh, so it goes on to say more about what their goals are, but those are some of the highlights I wanted to highlight for you. Obviously, you can search it and find it yourself and see um, what it is, what it's all about. It's not really that long. It's I don't know, maybe eight pages, it looks like at this point. Um but the question is, and it comes down to, I just want to keep harping on this same idea, that it comes down to whether you are the soapbox or the bullhorn. And that's really how you can distill all this down. If you're having trouble understanding what this really means, what just going through the legalese, and really what this executive order is saying, that this whole thing was created a long time ago, 1996, and the language was, at that point, was created openly enough so that there was room for growth. At this point, we've now gotten to the point where these behemoths or these giants of the tech industry have so much control and so much power that there needs to be more clarification onto what they are, whether they are a platform or they are a publisher. What's the power for President Trump to do this? Obviously, it's an executive order. When you're an executive order, you direct the agencies that are under the authority of the executive order to create rules and regulations. And we've talked about this before. The fourth branch of the government is the administrative state. And Congress drafts these very vague rules, one, because they can pat themselves on the back when it's all said and done. And it's vague enough that when things happen or they get called out on it, they can wiggle their way out of it with deceptive lies or something like that. 
but also because they don't want to have the responsibility of really coming down with any decisions. So you've started to see that now Congress has only has not only delegated its authority to the executive branch to run things, creating thereby a super executive branch um, or an ever empowered executive branch, but also to this fourth branch, which is the administrative estate. So does he have the power to do so? Yes, he absolutely has the power to direct his agencies to start coming up with more, more rules and regulations. Does he have the power through this executive order to change the law? No. The law has to be changed through Congress, as we all know. Congress writes the laws as vaguely as they are, and the administrative state is the one that helps implement them. It's all the rules and regulations. That's all the ticky-tacky stuff that people don't want to get into because it's so cumbersome. That's the rules and regulations. So can he direct his agencies who are acting on this through rules and regulations to change this or add some clarification to the statute. He absolutely does have the authority to do so. Whether or not the agencies are going to comply, as of this morning, I did read a report that they were not really consulted or worked with on this. Um, And again, this is not abnormal for President Trump to do so. He does like to go out with executive orders um, and they maybe not consult the people who are really gonna be implementing them. So I wouldn't be surprised if he talks to the agencies that are in charge of this and so they tell him, well, you, let's redraft it a little bit and then you can rescind this one and sign a new one that is a little bit more effective. Is it symbolic? It's absolutely symbolic that in a way of a rallying cry, it's almost like the general of this conservative army is now pointing his troops at one way. Um, you're starting to see more Republican lawmakers talk about this and talk about uh, bringing more actions, more lawsuits against these tech giants. So there is a full frontal attack on these tech giants. My personal opinion, there is definitely an issue. There's definitely an issue here that needs to be addressed. And I think a lot of these tech giants have been working in this gray area and using and hiding behind 230 to get what they want. They've enjoyed the luxury of not being liable for any of this stuff as long as possible. And they've been kind of cutesy with how they've decided to curate and editorialize and try and kind of push their own viewpoint. And the question is, if these platforms are truly free and open, what would they look like? I mean, it's been so long, I can't even imagine what any of these social media platforms would look like if they were more open, if they were more fair, if they were more, even YouTube, if YouTube was more fair, if they weren't demonetizing conservative videos or conservative content creators like a Steven Crowder and then force them off the platform. I think there's definitely an issue. And that's why I say symbolically, this is great if you don't like the social media giants getting away with censoring people, picking and choosing the winners and losers, who they want to push forward, what content they want to curate and stuff like that. They they have immense unchecked power at this point and they hide behind 230. So I think there's absolutely an issue there and symbolically this is great, but we'll have to see logistically how this is all going to work out. 
whether this goes anywhere, and I'll follow it to make sure that if there's any updates, I can provide you the updates. But as of right now, I need to see where this is going to go. I need to see what the agencies are going to do, how they're going to react to this, how they are going to implement this, and how they're legally going to change what tech giants are doing. Is it going to be fought in some courts? I'm sure it's absolutely going to be fought in courts. All of Trump's executive orders get fought in courts. They push the envelope. They push the envelope of what is out there and what needs to be litigated out in court to be figured out when it comes to the law. So this isn't over. This isn't a stroke of a pen. The King decrees that Twitter can no longer censor me, whatever. But it's a, if you are symbolically follow, if you're following this all, it's symbolically a great gesture from the president that he understands this. He understands there's discrimination. He understands there's a bias and that things are going on and things are a little too fishy. And it's a good step in the right direction. Like I said, the aftermath and what really happens has yet to be seen. Does he have the authority? I've already said he does have the authority. He can absolutely do so. Now the question is whether or not the agencies follow through and do what he wants them to do, whether they implement the regulations, we shall see. So with that, I uh, am going to end today's show. Wanted to just talk about that. been focusing on us on one topic, really just kind of getting down to the nitty gritty of things that are going on. Next week, hope I have a big update for you uh, regarding the mask mandates. It's going to be a big show to talk about the constitutional arguments, what's going on there. Um, so obviously stay safe, stay healthy, and I will see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 